Paul Reeves and hosting incredible guest, Bobby Humblefish Miller. Uh, welcome, Bobby. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you for having me. I follow your, your Johnny Carson uh, night night shows and, and interviews, and it looks like I caught you in a, in a uh, quiet spot, yeah? I'm, I'm sorry, repeat that? I caught you in a nice quiet spot. Yes, yeah, this is a good good time and good place. So, Bobby, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're doing um, now and whether the peroxide thing, uh, your experiment uh, is over, and if it is or not, what else are you playing with, and what exactly uh, your day consists of these days? Well, so I'm actually on a little bit of a break from experimentation at the moment. Um, I've, I've completed the hydrogen peroxide experiments to my satisfaction. Um, I'm satisfied that it provides temporary relief of uh, diseases like velvet, brook, flukes. Um, I've also incorporated it into tank transfer method. I call it hybrid tank transfer method, where you give a fish uh, two peroxide baths six days apart. Um, there are some other people on my forum that have taken the peroxide treatment in a different direction. They're actually dosing it into a DT with corals and inverts. Um, that seems to be a little bit more hit or miss as to, you know, the effectiveness, um, you know, if that works or not. Um, so that, that's kind of, I'm pretty happy with the hydrogen peroxide. It's doing what I want it to do. I don't, I don't want to say that it's a cure-all. It's not a cure-all. I think it is uh, a very effective for temporary relief. I think it could be incorporated into tank transfer method for those who don't want to use copper and, you know, other uh, chemicals. Uh, the next thing I'm not actually working on at the moment, some of the vendors on my forum are, is using tea tree oil to treat uranema, because you probably know that that is kind of the, you know, that that's, that's the thing, that, that's, that's the disease that's, that's the big problem right now. So uh, we're kind of uh, doing some, I don't really want to get into details about it, but we're kind of getting into some experimentation. I'm not actively experimenting, but there's some vendors on my forum that are experimenting with tea tree oil to uh, eliminate uranema. Got it. That's interesting. I, I want to get back to that in a little bit. Bobby, so, so, so taking a vacation and, 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 and taking a break from the hobby means... You're still on your forum. You get to see still what what's out there on the hot bugs and whatever. What's on the scene? What are you seeing? What's the hot new bug? What are people having issues with? What's going on in the wholesaler systems, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. Obviously, uranema is, is on the list. Oh yeah, your uranema is is a huge problem right now. Uh, anybody that is. If you're getting in chromis or antheus, I mean, you really, I, I, you know, advocate prophylactically treating for uranema, especially with, you know, species that are susceptible. The best treatment right now, uh, I feel at the moment, is to give a fish a 250 ppm formalin bath for, um, for 45 to 60 minutes. And then you want to follow up by dosing 25 ppm formalin every 24 hours for two weeks. That's your it's not effective. It doesn't work 100% of the time, but that's going to be your best option for treating uranema. Um, 
Other things have seemed to have died down. I mean, you know, we're not really seeing as much uh, in Ick or Velvet, believe it or not, as we used to. Flukes seem to be on the rise. So I don't know what's going on with this fluke season or whatever, but I'm, we're, we are seeing more and more fish getting in uh, flukes. So if you quarantine, you want to, you know, do the Prozipro treatment, you know, twice, about a week apart to eliminate flukes, especially in wrasses. Claudia, are, 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 you, are you seeing any new bug this Bug, the smaller crypto type thing. Are you hearing any resistance stuff? Are you hearing anything really scary out there? Or is it the same old? It's mostly the same old. So I used to recommend, you know, for using uh, um, products like Copper Safe and Copper Power, uh, I recommended uh, treating at two parts, uh, two ppm. I've now raised that recommendation for Copper Power to 2.5 ppm because we did have some cases of. People reporting that that Velvet in particular was getting through 2.0 uh, uh, copper power, but it seems since raising that level to 2.5 ppm, that that seems to have solved the problem. So I don't know if this is a case where I don't know if wholesalers were using it at subtherapeutic, and maybe these parasites were building up a resistance, and by raising the recommended uh, therapeutic level, we've we've knocked that out or not. Um, but other than that, I mean, there's some oddball bacterial stuff that, that I see sometimes, like Vibrio. Um, but other than that, I mean, things are things are going pretty well. I kind of really feel, especially with, with more people using hybrid tank transfer method, incorporating peroxide into their quarantine regimen, um, I think that's going really well. And I think we're seeing less cases of people, you know, fish just mysteriously dying in quarantine because maybe there is a copper intolerant species, which you never know. What fish that's going to be exactly? I actually have that also on my list, which is uh, talking about tailoring the quarantine procedure for the actual species. Um, I, I, I know your chart that's out there, um, one, two through five, um, and all that stuff. Whoever made that one up, with the chloroquines and the, and the copper. But at the end of the day, experience trumps it all. I'm just wondering, like, let's let's just take an example. Where would you, where would you absolutely not use copper, and where would you absolutely use chloroquine instead, and vice versa? Well, so I mean, copper. I wouldn't use copper on like lionfish. Uh, puffers, believe it or not, actually seem. I would not use ionic copper on puffer fish, but I would use uh, you know chelated copper like copper safe or copper power on puffers. Eels would never use uh, uh, copper on eel. They just seem to, they stop eating. Obviously, you don't want to use copper on uh, stingrays, sharks, seahorses, um, any of those fish. Um, you know, wrasses, I call them pain in my wrasses because they're so, you don't know what they're going to tolerate, what they're not going to tolerate. Some seem to fly through uh, chelated copper just fine. Some don't. Um, there, there are, there have been better success with uh, the hybrid tank transfer method on wrasses, but then again, there's going to be some that aren't going to tolerate it as well. Um, you know, I did a lot of experiment on uh, experimentation on on chloroquine, um, but I found that flasher wrasses, I forget the the genus that's like you know the six line wrasse, those don't tolerate it well.
So you're not just sitting there trying to, you know, look at a color chart. Bobby, with, with uremia on the rise, why not use chloroquine more and take care of it both ways? You know, that, that is a good point. So, you know, when I, when I was running my fish quarantine business, I was actually half the fish I use, you know, copper and metro, and the other half of the fish I use chloroquine. Um, and chloroquine did actually very well with uranema. But what we're starting to see with uranema is we're seeing that uranema actual, actually can infect the fish internally. So, for example, there's a guy on my forum right now, and he actually, I forget what he treated with. It might have been chloroquine. But he's got a fish that shows no signs of uranema. However, he will uh, collect feces samples and look at them under a microscope. And there's actually uranema parasites in the feces, which is telling us that the parasite is still spreading internally inside the fish. And that really is the problem. I think you're, you, know, you can use like formalin, you can use chloroquine to eliminate uranema externally, but the million dollar question is, what do you do about a fish that has internal uranema that's actually uh, infecting their organs? Maybe it's actually intracellular, it's actually infecting their cells. I mean, literally you got cancer in a you know, way of putting it going on inside this fish, but it's uranema, and then you can put this fish in your tank, and then if the parasites are on the feces, and, you know, then you could actually infect the tank, you know, with, with uranema that way. So that's really the big problem with uranema is how do we treat a fish that has internal uranema? Because uh, food soaking metronidazole seems to work sometimes. Food soaking chloroquine is another option, but, you know, it's very bitter tasting. So you have to use something to kind of lace the, the, the metallic taste of it. Uh, Well, yeah, there's that too. Yeah, there, there's there's that as well. The danger, and it's kind of hard to get chloroquine nowadays anyway. I only know of one source to buy it from. Yep. Yep, I know that Source. That's uh, National Fish Pharmacy. Yep. over at uh, Fishman Chemical. Yeah, they're the only place to buy chloroquine from. I and mean, you have to buy, I think, at least 100 grams yep. is the minimal, minimum order, so for some people you know i don't know what 100 grams cost nowadays 200 bucks or something but a lot of people are like i don't want to spend 200 bucks just to buy one drug for my fish so bobby what, what i i have 50 and oh, 100 chromis in the back myself and they've been through chloroquine and they've been through metro soap food and we lost some of the urinema, that's the way they come in, you know that. Uh, they get that red, that red freaking line right from them. But whatever's left is now healthy or looks healthy. Um, no meds in there. I'm scared to introduce them into my tank. How's that? You scared me. Why should I even do it? I what I would do before I would introduce those chromas into your your tank is I would get an aquabiomics. So aquabiomics, I don't know if you've heard about this company, oh, but yeah. they now do eDNA testing. Yeah. So what they do is they actually um, are able to test the wa a water sample that you take from a DT or a quarantine tank, and they're able to screen for bacterial diseases and parasites, not flukes, not worms, but they can tell you. If the, the fish in a tank have ick velvet, brook uranema, or any bacterial diseases. So that would be an option that if you just want to know for certain, um, they do it two ways. You can, you can submit a water sample to them, and I think it's like 50 or 60 bucks, and they will do a screening to see if there's any parasites uh, on the fish in the water. 
You can also they um, you can uh, do like a basically like a skin scrape. Um, they'll send you like a kit. You can take a skin. So for example, if you have a fish that dies, you're not sure what it is. It's a white dot or a red sore. I mean, maybe it's vibrio. Maybe it's not uranema. You can do a, a, a scrape. You can send it back and they'll confirm that for you. Hey. So, so Bobby, is, is there is there a way that you can You know, some people, you know, because uranema has no fallow period, I, I suspect a lot of tanks um, have uranema. Um, I think actually that same source, uh, Aquabionic, said that they tested, uh, I forget where they said the source was, but they tested live rock from various retailers, and over half half of that rock had uranema. Because, again, it, it doesn't have a fallow period. It will subsist off detritus and bacteria if without a fish. So... I mean, you could be getting uranema in a, on a rock. You could be getting it on an invert. Um, so a lot of people have uranema in their tank. It doesn't seem to cause a problem in, until the populations explode. Um, so, you know, some people will do things like, you know, they'll run a UV sterilizer. They'll run ozone. They'll run a diatom filter. They'll do a lot of things to keep those parasites sublethal. Um, I mean, I know you got a lot to lose. You're talking about putting these in the 17,000 gallon or something, one of your smaller tanks? Something connected to the 17,000, it doesn't matter. Something connected, either, either the 300 or the 17, yes, but it's, it, it's connected to the 17,000. Mm. Um, I, I would think in you know, it's water. Like, it, it's a little nerve wracking to me. I, I tried to nuke pretty good. They've gotten two formal and bags already. I mean, it's a hard question to answer. You got a, I mean, obviously you got a lot to lose if you get uranema in 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 one of your tanks, especially if they're they're tied together. However, considering how much water volume you're dealing with, the dilution factor, I don't. I think even if you got uranema in that big tank, I don't think you would see. I don't think you would see fish developing symptoms from it. I think you have enough dilution where the the, the parasite populations are never going to become a problem. And you're in your specific. Situation. Do you know the microjoules of a UV? How much you need to kill uranium versus velvet or anything like that? Do you know the sensitivity to UV? There's never been any studies. It's all um, basically. I'll have, I'd have to look it up, but there's there have been studies on freshwater ick, and I forget exactly what that was, but. All of the whether or not a UV actually works on saltwater parasites, it's all extrapolated from that information. There have never actually been any scientific studies on how effective a UV sterilizer is or what the flow rate or what it has to be to kill saltwater pathogens. So that article that had all those microtools in it, that was a freshwater article. Yes, that was for those were that was for freshwater X specifically. All right, Bobby, so, so a lot of people want to know uh, a little bit about um, 
They, they, they set up a fish tank, you know, they set up a fish tank, and they throw some coral in there, and things are going okay. And one day, they see their powder blue or Achilles tank, and you know, it's always or hippo, they have some dots on them. Okay, they're eating fine, they're all good, there's some dots. I, I, I know, I actually watched the interview, Bobby, with the first clam. I can tell you it did not work. <laughs> Uh, the first clam in the gut. Um, I have some ideas that what do work. Uh, we can talk about them. Mm -hmm. what, 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 what do you do? Are you going after that fish right away? You taking them all out and going fat, or, or are you going to try to manage this thing? Or is it a function of how big the tank is and what big pain the ass is? You know, it, it, it's a it's a tough question to ask because there, to me, my opinion, I mean, my views on this are. are have evolved and I don't think there's a wrong answer I think I think anyone setting up an aquarium I think you should pick up you know pick a lane right quarantine or manage um, the worst thing that that a new hobbyist or someone just setting up a tank can do is just say well I'm gonna get lucky or it's not gonna happen to me right. if you don't quarantine you're gonna get something it's just a matter of time before you right. get ick or velvet or something you in your tank and manage, God forbid something, something goes badly right yes right so it kind of comes down to, you know, if you're going to quarantine, there's protocols for that. If you're going to manage, I've always felt like it's a, it's a, it's a two-step process. I think you have, to, you have to have dilution. So why don't the parasite, why don't the fish in the, in the ocean, why aren't they all dying from parasites? Well, there's a gazillion gallons of water from a gazillion gallons of water that are diluting the parasites. So you have to kind of, you have to replicate that. And what I mean by that is you have to, keep the number of parasites in the water at a sublethal concentration. So that's when what I call management tools come into play, like a UV sterilizer, ozone, a diatom filter. Um, you know, in an emergency situation, you can dose hydrogen peroxide. But I also feel the other side of the equation is nutrition. I think a lot of new hobbyists just, you know, rely too heavily on flakes and pellets and whatever, and they're not, you know, look, if, you, if you've got herbivores, they need algae. If you've got omnivores, carnivores, they need meat. I'm not just clams, but you know, clams, mice, shrimp, uh, um, scallops. I mean, you know, there's 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 recipes you can find online, or you know, some companies um, make their own food. But I think you know, we know that a fish's immune system is powered by its, by their gut flora. So you have to feed that gut flora to power the immune system. So it's a two-step thing. You want to dilute the, the, the parasites in the water while simultaneously you want to boost your fish's immune system to deal with the parasites that survive. And I'm just saying that I think that should be the game plan for someone either who has just newly set up an aquarium or is encountering um, a, a problem um, and is trying to decide what to do. And the reason I'm trying to say you need to do it beforehand Usually by the time you, you start seeing the parasites on the fish. Oh, yeah, this is already been going on. You haven't seen it. Yes. Right. Exactly. It, it's too late. You're much better starting off from day one with management techniques. So you, you, you either never get to that point, or if you do get to that point, you, you've got a plan in place to, to deal with it, to manage the, the parasites. Right. So, so, Bobby, you know, I, I had some things slip by. We have some dots occasionally, and we had it again recently. And, and it turns out that the guy that, that, that usually feeds the fish was gone, and the new guy was here. Maybe they, they didn't have as much food or changed the food or the amount of food. In any event, 
What are you hearing? What are people, besides peroxide, what are you hearing snake oil stuff that people are using? Uh, are you, are you uh, polymedic is just peroxide and fancy salts? Yeah, um, pretty much. Yeah. It's, I, mean, you, I mean, I'm not trying to bang on that product, but I mean, if you're going to go that route, you might as well just go bottle, you know, spend a dollar or go spend... Spend a dollar, go to Walmart, buy a bottle of hydrogen peroxide, and just do it yourself. Because essentially, it's it's hydrogen peroxide, which I mean, you know, peroxide is an oxidizer. Yeah, so you're so oxidizing so the parasites either in the water column or possibly even on the fish. Right. So under that method, you're basically dosing three to four times a day, and you're keeping the ppm's as close to three to five or something like that, maybe up to ten, and you're dosing at night and Corals don't love it. Um, just for everybody that, that knows, the corals are not thrilled. You got to turn down your whites. You got to lower your par, uh, and, and you still may lose some smooth skin acros. But other than that, I didn't see much uh, much damage. Yeah. So that's that's one option. Um, I really don't personally have a lot of uh, experience with other management products. I will say one. Okay, there is one I do, and I don't have the experience. But when I where I used to live, there was a local fish store that you know I'm you know I'm always on the hunt for sick fish. I go into fish stores looking for sick fish to buy, and there was this one fish store that really frustrated me because I went into this store all the time for like four years, and the guy I never saw symptoms of disease on any of his fish, and he didn't quarantine the fish. Well, come to find out, he was using. These two products, one was called Herptania, the other one was called Artemis, and I suspect they're, you know, like herbal, you know, herbal remedies. But whatever they were doing, they were either boosting the fish's immune system or maybe uh, providing the fish with a, a thicker mucus to resist the parasites. But, you know, that, that's a forever thing because, I mean, I know people who would buy fish from him, take the fish home. They had ick or velvet. So it's kind of like if you're not using these products indefinitely, then something is going to slip through. What do you, the guys that feed medicine and the foods, well, what, what, what are you hearing? I mean, I, I, I've tried a whole bunch of stuff, and, and uh, I don't know, but not just me. I, I, there's someone else that, that's tried what I've said, and, and we think it actually makes a difference. We don't know why or can explain it, but are you hearing anything like that? It's not the metro in the food. I know a lot of people try that. Um, have you ever heard of people trying the TMP sulfur in the food? Like a like a sulfur thiazole? It actually it's a trimet stuff that is supposedly active. Don't know why it works, but it seems to work for me. Are you, are you talking about for treating like internal bacterial infections or? I'm talking about Herpticarin and I can't explain why. Okay. TMP sulfur is the product from our buddies at National Fish Pharmaceuticals. Mm -hmm. And someone told me to try it and the other people have been experimenting and I've seen to have some good luck with it. So I, I haven't experimented with that. Um, is it, are you just using it as like a general prophylactic? No, I'm using it when, I, when the fish get dots and scratch, okay. and, and it definitely seems to help. So, I'm, I'm, 
I'm mostly the the experimentation I've done has been uh, lacing fish food to treat um, internal pathogens. You know, praziquantel. The fish has intestinal worms. Metronidazole. If they have sure. internal parasites. Um, I I've had good success using uh, neomycin actually for internal uh, bacterial infections. Um, but I, I have not personally had a lot of success dosing food to treat external pathogens. That's just my treatment is more like I usually dose the water um, for that. I know we've talked before also about doing the injections, um, you know, the intramuscular injections. Those work really well for treating ex external bacterial infections. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, so, so actually, the, um, there's actually some studies that actually show that levamisole uh, mm -hmm. actually has pre-proven immunity if you feed it to the fish also. You haven't hmm. heard that? I haven't heard that. I know that was a dewormer, I believe, that was like kind of the precursor to praziquantel. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah. But you know what? There, there, there's treatments out there that like, um, you know... Because I'm trying to think of a good example. So here's a good example. A good example is that that formulation that uh, NFP sells, uh, the nitrofurosin green powder. So that that is supposed to be mostly anti, but again, you know, it's kind of a it's kind of a, a wide spectrum treatment because it is it does treat you know parasites and um, uh, bacteria. But I've also seen some efficacy against flukes using that stuff. Um, I've given some fish some baths with with. Uh, Nitrofurous and green powder, and you know, if a fish has external skin flukes, um, they actually fall off the fish. The flukes actually turn kind of bluish, and then they fall off the fish like a bluish white and fall off the fish. So there's something about that. Maybe it's the methylene blue. I mean, there's nitrofurazone. I think there is one of the sulfur products in that as well that is not known to be um, effective against worms, but it, it seems to work in a bath treatment. So yeah, it doesn't surprise me that there's other products like like what you're talking about that. You can food soak that, you know, have efficacy against things that we, you know, aquaculture doesn't generally, you know, doesn't know about. Yeah. Let's talk, uh, let's just switch topics for a second completely and talk about another boogeyman in the room, which is coral quarantine, right? Mm hmm. There seems to be very huge differences between protecting the fish and protecting the coral. And the two are not necessarily consistent with one another. Unless you protected the coral and from the fish and from the worms and this and this and dipping and feeding it nutrient and doing it all, all for the six, seven week period uh, in addition. Can you give us a little bit of, of, of sort of, like now when I'm dealing with corals, I'm much more interested in flatworms and making sure eggs don't go into the tank uh, than I am a trophant. W why is that? Is that because I have a trophant in the tank already and, and it doesn't matter? <laughs> right. So my me personally, so my my primary reason to quarantine corals and inverts is because I'm concerned about tomates being on them. So, you know, where most people know for fish diseases that 
a fish with trophons that's the usual carrier that's what you know if the fish has the parasites on them you introduce a sick fish or it's in their gills or whatever and that's how the parasite gets into your tank but what a lot of people don't realize is well the it can velvet anyway they both have a call it an egg or a cyst stage that we call that they call tomones and these these this is the stage of the parasite after the parasite drops off the fish crawls around it finds like a hard surface to insist upon um oh, i just lost your uh i'll keep talking but if you're still there your screen just went like it's just like different colors i don't see you at all <laughs> something happened with the colors <laughs> yeah the, the screen completely went away and it's now just uh i, I see lines like uh all right. I yeah, have triple lines uh different colors oh, okay yeah. So. Yeah. Exactly. That's, oh, you're back now. Okay. So tomones on corals. That that's the stage after the the parasites drop off the fish. They crawl around. They find a hard surface. It can be a snail shell or a hermit crab shell. It can be uh, the hard part of like an LPS coral. Um, and they they don't insist on live coral tissue, but they insist on rock, right. sand, whatever. Right. So this is another vector that you can get diseases into your tank. And I mean, nobody wants to hear that because they're like, you're telling me I have to quarantine the corals and inverts too on top of the fish. And unfortunately, the only way to neutralize the threat is to place the coral or invert in a fishless frag tank or whatever and leave them there for six weeks. I recommend raising the water temperature at 81 degrees Fahrenheit to make sure the life cycle is sped up. Um, and you're basically waiting them out, but you're waiting for enough time for enough uh, for free swimmers to be released in the water, there won't be fish in the fishless frag tank, and the free swimmers don't find a host and they and they die off. Um, so that's my primary concern. I think if I understood your question correctly, you're more concerned about flatworms and and you know using dips and things like that to I mean, eliminate you know, that uh, I, possibility. At this point, if something comes in with a big with a, attached to a rock, where, or if I go and maybe stop. And if I don't know the system where it came from, I know it's not clean. I'm more cautious. Come here. Come here. I'm definitely more cautious and we'll wait the six weeks out. Um, if I know the tank and there hasn't been any new fish introduced in five years and um, there's no rock on it at all, it's just an aqua, a coral skeleton tissue. I'm less worried about the trophons, and I'm more concerned about flatworms, uh, bugs, and that kind of thing. And, and putting a coral through a fishless system for six weeks is pretty stressful on the coral, unless you're feeding that coral phosphate, nitrate, and nutrients also. Right. So, so there's a, and, and then you're, you're testing that almost every couple of days, and so it's just, a lot of a lot of checks along with alk and you know calcium all that stuff um and if you're still not dipping it and watching for pests the fisheries can could could you could be free of tomats and then basically wipe out all your coral with with uh, aquaporin and flowers so what, what right. does that get you 
Yeah, I, I, I mean, I hear you there. I mean, you know, like my solution to that, like you said, you, you can actually make your own phosphate and nitrates to dose uh, to keep those that, you know, where they're supposed to be. Um, if you're, if you're quarantining, um, you know, LPS corals, you can, you can, uh, you can target feed them to be sure that they're well fed. You know, there's products for SPS, you know, for acros and stuff. Like I think it's called reef chili and there's other products that you can use to keep them well fed. Um, if you're quarantining inverts, uh, like snails and hermit crabs or whatever, I mean, you know, they, they, they're, they're, they eat algae. So you'll have to maybe put some nori in the tank. You'll have to use some algae wafers. I mean, there's no, no question. It's, it's more work. Um, it's more work. It's more time and energy, more money to have to set up the tank. Um, it's, uh, it, yeah. Like you, you tend to order them when you need them, and then you can't even use them for six, seven weeks. It, it, it's right. a brutal process, right? But what? But what's the answer? Because, like, I, for example, I mean, there's someone I'm helping right now who, um, you know, I don't want to name the person, but the person basically, you know, quarantined all their fish, checked all the boxes, and then they ordered some snails, put them right in, and now they've got velvet. Yeah. And, I, I, you I, I, snails, I'd be very cautious. Cool. I mean, snails go through our fishless system for, for six and a half, seven weeks. There's no exception. Right. Um, yeah, you know, but th there are some things you can do to mitigate. So, like, let's just say you're like, okay, look, I'm not going to quarantine my corals. Well, let's, let's just take uh, some acros. You know, a lot of people have acro reefs. Well, if you were to take that acro, as long as that acro has, it, it's, it's a healthy, you know, frag, and it's covered in live coral tissue, which yeah. Tomos can't insist upon, yeah. and you can, like, dis you can remove it from its plug, Put it on a dry plug. Well, you've just neutralized the threat right there. You didn't. You don't have to quarantine anything. You've taken the steps that you need to neutralize the threat of tomos being on that coral, so that you can just basically safely bypass quarantine in that circumstance and and, and put the coral right in your tank. Um, I would be more concerned with, like, for example, like LPS, like uh, like torch corals and frog spawn that have that solid base. That obviously is, is is the base of the coral. That I mean, Tomos could insist upon that. Uh, soft corals, most of the times, they can be detached from their rock and then you know put on a you know rubber band or whatever onto a plug, a dry plug to neutralize the threat of Tomos on those. Or here we go, shrimp. So let's say you you've got a bunch of cleaner shrimp. This can be a little tough. Once that shrimp sheds its exoskeleton and molts, well, yeah, any tomos would have been on that exoskeleton. That shrimp is now safe to put in your DT. So there are some ways of mitigating it so it's not so extreme. Go put 100 shrimp in a system and figure out which one shed. It's hard. You'd have to put them in a, a like little compartments or whatever, and as they shed, you could you know put them in your tank, I guess. And you also don't want to add them too quickly after they shed because they're still, you know, soft. Yes. Yeah, the, the new exoskeleton is still soft. Got to give it a few days for the exoskeleton to fully harden before handling them. Yeah. All right. So, Bobby, um, I want to talk to you about medication, um, medication toxic combinations. How's that? And some yeah. weird things that have happened to me recently. Let's talk about the obvious no-nos, okay? Like, what do you not, when copper's power with prime is okay. Yes. Copper safe 
is not, right? Is that the way it works? So I've only tested I've only tested prime with copper power. I haven't done any other testing other than that. I I think probably you can use prime with copper safe. I just have not actually tested to verify that, but I have tested that copper power is safe to use with C with Seachem Prime. Which is a huge benefit because as we all know, if you set up a quarantine tank, that biological I mean my biological is in good shape because it's been used for years and years and years. But um, and, and we've had the fish loaded in it and we keep the the copper in there basically unless we unless we bleach it, okay? Mm -hmm. Um a lot of people get ammonia during the, during this period. And, and unless you're doing 75, 80% water changes, which you can do, um, prime is a great, a, great, a great daily thing until the water gets mucky, gross, and disgusting after the five, six days and the water goes cloudy. Is that, is that, that made, I mean, can you keep using it or not? So the prom, the only problem with prime is this. So when you dose prime, well, I just want to say one thing just because anybody watching this, don't ever use prime with cupramine. Or don't ever use prime copper sulfate. I just wanted to put you know that out there just to be safe. Only use prime with copper power only. We'll just say that at this point. Those are the only two products that are compatible. Um, so here's the problem with prime. So you dose prime, and it only binds the ammonia in the water for 24 to 48 hours. So unless you are removing it via bio biological filtration or you're doing your water changes, then that ammonia is just going to release the ammonia back into the water. The problem with continuously dosing prime is you can dose it every 24 hours, but as it binds more and more and more ammonia, that water is going to start to turn cloudy because it's basically the bound ammonia that's in the water that's now turning cloudy. So I, I kind of recommend if you can use prime with copper power, it's a Band-Aid, you know, like, you know, get you through the day or whatever. But, you know, when you get home from work, go ahead and do a water change. Um, but there's never going to be a downside of doing a water change in a quarantine tank to, to keep the water quality optimal for your, your fish. Yes, yeah. I'm sorry, repeat that one more time. Always put the medication, reminding people not to put the medication in the tank after the water change, but put it in the water change water itself. Yeah. Yeah, if, if you're doing a water change and you got copper and your copper's at 2.5, you want to mix 2.5 ppm copper in the bucket of the replacement water. You don't want that that copper level to ever, you don't want it to deviate. You don't want it to, to be lower. You want it to be consistent at all times because, you know, it's that 5 or 10 seconds that the copper drops below therapeutic where a free swimmer just happens to be getting released. It's in the water, finds a host, and your treatment fails. And with chloroquine, even more so because you have no idea what the what the real levels are, other than what you dose, and which is why we do water changes using chloroquine every four or five days. We just do about 60, 70 percent of the tank and redose that 70 percent bang right away. Yeah, yeah. Chloroquine has two. I mean, obviously, you know the two problems with chloroquine. There is no practical test kit. You have to use a spectrophotometer or something like that to test it. The other problem with chloroquine is, is it's susceptible to biodegradation. So if there's any bacteria in that tank, there's biofilm on the quarantine, you're running a biofilter, that it's actually going to degrade, it's going to actually consume the medication. And you have no idea what the therapeutic level actually is, which is why, technically speaking, chloroquine is best used in a sterile QT.
Although, I do think display tanks were without moral, and at least you can get it out as opposed to copper content. Yeah, I've, I've actually advised some, so, you know, every now and then I'll, um, I'll get a, a local fish shop or something and contacts me and they've got Icar Velvet going through their system and they're like, you know, I've just got to do something. They don't want to use copper for various reasons. Uh, chloroquine seems to work in most cases, not 100% of the time, even in a, a, a system with, with rock and sand, providing you keep up with the redosing. Yeah, you so, have to so keep, I think it's, the, uh, what, one, one milligram per liter per day right. that you have to keep dosing the medication back to the water. And what you're doing is, because chloroquine has such a wide therapeutic range, it's actually 10 to 20 milligrams per liter. You're, you're you know, it's kind of like it's not too low, it's not too high, it's right where it needs to be. And that seems to work. It seems to be a 30-day strategy that has worked more times than not. Yeah, I, I go up to about 55 uh, milligrams per gallon, maybe 60 per gallon. Um, but I won't go there for sensitive fish. And um, we do redose it every every three four days in the water change water. You know, I know your your methodology on the bump, the 10 percent bump method. I guess I would use that if, I, if, if it was in a display tank and I wasn't changing the water every, every three days. Yes. Right. Yeah, that is mostly I developed that for people yeah. who were going to use it in a DT or people that were going to use it in a quarantine tank where they're using uh, an active biofilter. Um, you know, like some people go years without sterilizing their quarantine tank. And what they don't realize is that after about a few months, you have enough bacteria in that tank where other than copper, it's going to degrade any medication you dose. There's been studies, prosequental and formalin has been rapidly, has been degraded in a matter of hours because there were, there were enough, um, I think it's actually heterotrophic bacteria in that tank that were degrading the medications. Okay, Bobby, so, so let's switch back. Let's switch to Project Quantum. Um, you have a reef tank. You suspect you, you might have a fluke or you just, I don't know, fish or whatever. No problem with SPS, no problem with corals. Just go do it. Um, you still got to take off your UV. You still got to run those skimmers. You still got to um, uh, dose every, you know, do it again every four or five days to get the eggs, and, and, and it degrades, like you said, so it may not even work. Right, exactly. So prosy, when you dose, so we're going to talk about prosy in a reef tank. You dose yeah, prosy, prosy in a reef tank. Let's discuss that, yeah. So, so prosy in a reef tank seems to, you know, it's like quasi-reef safe. Um, it seems like what, my, what I've seen, the two things that happen, anemones and SPS will sometimes bleach after dosing it they usually bounce back but again like you're saying the problem with dosing well any medication in a reef tank and prosy included is you don't know if it's because it needs to be really in the water about 24 hours to to do its job fully at that low concentration because i think it's uh the prosy pro concentration which most people use is like 2.5 milligrams a liter at that low concentration you kind of really need 24 24 hours of exposure time um, so you want to, you know, disable carbon, turn off your UV for that 24-hour period. But the unknown factor is, are the bacteria in your DT, 
are they going to degrade that medication below therapeutic in that 24-hour time frame? That's just a big unknown. Again, without a photometer, there's no practical way to measure uh, uh, Prozzi in the water. I know before you had said about um, interactions, well, you know, Prozzi Pro is actually one of these medications that doesn't play nice with other meds. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, does not play nice. Yeah. So, like, you know, if you mix it with copper, you mix it with chloroquine, you mix it with antibiotics, Prozzi Pro actually, it's the, um, the agent that's in it that, that, that dissolves the powder. Um, it actually can cause a bacterial bloom. Um, when mixed with other medications, the water turns very cloudy. Yeah, we, we, uh, don't, we don't use it. We, we use your, your, uh, your DSMO. Yes. Yeah, that, that's the best thing to do is just to use powder Prozzi with DMSO, and DMSO does not seem to cause the bacterial bloom problems that Prozzi Pro does. Right. So, Bobby, the other day, tell me how this can happen. How do you take two quarantine types that have been treated months ago, months ago, maybe six months ago, there were some black times I had, I had some baby legal angels in there from valley uh, agriculture. Um, I'm afraid to tell you, some white koi times, and, and, and I needed some room in the quarantine tanks, okay? And I combined two quarantines together, both healthy, or at least seemed to be healthy. Black tanks moved over to system, another system, and all of a sudden I'm looking at the regals, and it looks like fantail rot to me, it looks like something like that, because they're so small. So I started antibiotic in there, some canamycin, you know? Mm -hmm. And some nitrofurazone, uh, that combo, you know, I, you know, I like that combo. And then an hour later, now I'm seeing white patches on the, the black tang, like velvet, you know? So I, I shit, I threw some chloroquine in there. And within 20 minutes, things started dropping. I don't know if it was the chloroquine, and I've used chloroquine with canamycin before. I, I, don't, I don't understand what, what happened there. In fact, every fish that I took out of that system and put in another system with just chloroquine survived. Hmm. So you're saying by mixing chloroquine, nitrofurazone, and canamycin, fish started dropping dead? Yeah, it was, yeah, and, but, but it was, the, I, it was canna, it was two antibiotics first, and then chloroquine second, yeah, exactly. That's strange, because I mean, I, I've used that combination myself, and I have not experienced any issues. I will say this, I don't think it applies in this situation, but you do have to be a little careful combining too many medications because everything you dose into the water, uh, the fishes, uh, you know, the fish drink the water and, and through the gills, the fish's uh, liver and kidneys has to filter all those medications. So, you know, one or two medications, they can filter. But if you start, um, if you start combining too many medications, maybe three or more, then you're looking at the possibility of liver and kidney failure or damage in the fish. But that wouldn't kill the fish quickly. That's more of a something that plays out over a period of days or weeks. Like I thought I'd seen blood vessels, you know what I'm saying, Bobby? Yeah, that's that's really really weird. I mean, the only thing I can think of is I did you uh, did you like do make a like a scrape after they died or like you know do like any gram staining? I mean, it could have been a fast spreading bacterial infection, maybe. 
or or a wicked velvet glove that I just it just yeah. it didn't catch on time. Yeah, it's possible. Yeah. Now I I don't know how putting two healthy tanks together uh, and just moving to, from one one side to the other causes that, but whatever. You know, in this hobby, it's like whatever, whatever is his good answer of any. <laughs> hey, Andrew, let's focus in on um, yep. cross contamination and what we think maybe even triggered that. Yeah, so let's, let's, know, Bob, we got some new fish. Contamination. We had some other things quarantine at the, at the same time. Like, who knows? What, what, someone got a pump, they move it from one to blah, blah, blah. Again, it's, it's but But it's, uh, these are seemingly two healthy systems with fish housing both systems. They join together and boom. Yeah, that's that's really strange. You know, and like you said, look, things like that happen. I mean, this hobby there is sometimes, I mean, sometimes you figure it out. Sometimes you never figure out what happened. Um, and here, here's a little something else to consider. You know, we, we talk about these diseases. We talk about egg velvet, uranema, flukes, whatever. You know, and we maybe talk about maybe at most maybe 20 or 30 different diseases. But just like with our own bodies, there are probably thousands of different diseases that are in the ocean. Um, there, there's, there's different variations, different variants, different strains. And it, it, I always tell people, look, you do the best you can, but eventually you're going to come up against something that no medication is going to treat. Nothing is going to stop. You're going to suffer a 100% wipeout in your QT. You just have to sterilize the thing and start over. But from my point of view, better for that to happen in a quarantine tank yes, than in your display tank. Absolutely. Now, Bobby, you know, you know the story about the aquariums that had a what's the story? They had a like a hookworm. Prozzi wasn't strong enough. You sometimes see those needles like sticking out of the fish, and yeah. the not enough, and so they use dialogs or something stronger, and something goes bad. And they yeah. the time. And let's talk about that. Like, so there, there are so there are there are anchor worms, for example, right. that that will actually embed in the fish. Right. So that's more of a freshwater problem than saltwater. It's not un, it's not uh, completely unheard of in saltwater, right. but you do have anchor worms that some fish will get, and then really the only thing you do for that is manual. You have to catch the fish and pull them out with tweezers. It's it's manual removal. Um, I think what a lot of people do run into, though, sometimes is the um, the parasitic isopods. Right. Copod, yeah, 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 isopod, yeah. yeah. And that's something that you'll get, you know, again, it has an egg stage. So it probably hitchhikes in on a coral, and there's an egg, and you have this parasitic, parasitic isopod in your tank. Right. And, yeah, those are really tough to beat. I mean, uh, I've even seen cases where they, they stand up to formalin. And it seems like, um, I think it's Dilox, and there's another treatment that you can use, but uh, neither treatment is, is is obviously reef safe. That yeah, that's kind of a nightmare I, scenario I, when you get right, those in your in a, in a DT. Yeah, yeah. There's I'm trying to remember. There's Dilox and there's another medication. Actually, the the, the, the koi people use it a lot because they use it. They get a lot of like fish lice. Myoflex. Yeah, it's Myoflex for uh, pond bacteria. That's something we use for uh, flatworms and things of that sort. So it could be something like that. It's I forget what the active ingredient is, but it's it's something that people that encounter it end up basically giving their fish a bath using a it's a pond medication. But fortunately, it's it's pretty rare. I mean, it's it's that's not something that's you know often encountered. Right. 
Okay, so Bobby, what 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 um what else do you think we should talk about? Should, should we talk about um freshwater dips and formalin baths and cipro? Should we just do a general bath discussion? So here's the thing. I, I, I like baths because I think it okay, it does one of two things. So if you are going to quarantine, then I think doing a medicated bath um, actually gives your fish the best starting point in quarantine. Because if you get a fish in quarantine that's you know has a heavy infestation of parasites and worms, then you're already kind of under the gun trying to you know add medications. The fish is already heavily infested and in bad shape. Um, and then conversely, if you don't quarantine, then in my opinion, giving a fish a medicated bath to knock off most of the pathogens is better than doing nothing. Um, so what I like to use, my, my little one-two punch is a 30-minute, uh, 150 ppm hydrogen peroxide bath. There's instructions on my forum on, I think it's uh, 1 ml. I can't think right now. It's, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so I like to do that first because what that is going to do is that's going to knock off parasites and worms. But then I like to follow that up with a 30-minute 30, 30 uh, and green powder bath. And that's going to take care of any bacterial issues. If the fish has ammonia burn, it's going to help with that. Um, so it's kind of a one-two punch hydrogen peroxide bath first. And then after 30 minutes, uh, a 30-minute bath using NFG. Um, and then put the fish either in your quarantine or DT, depending if you're going to quarantine or not. I'm not why, a big why fan not, of virtual... Why not with the formula right away? Well, okay, so, all right, well, I would, I don't like to do formalin right away unless we're talking about Chromis or Anthias. Because they have such a high likelihood of carrying uranema, and we know what a nightmare that disease is. So when you're dealing with those specific species, and yes, I would do the formalin bath in lieu of the peroxide bath. Um, or any fish that you suspect of carrying uranema, peroxide has some efficacy against uranema, but obviously nothing is stronger than treating with formalin. Uh, a formalin bath, and I, I've actually upped my recommendation to 250 ppm because I've seen too many cases now of uranema getting through 150 and either, even so 200 250, uh, ppm. 250 is, I'm using four mLs in a five gallon bucket. That's, that's, the, old, that's, the, old, that's the old bath? Uh, yes, the new recommendation I'm, I'm going with is one mL per gallon. One ml per gallon, so that's five. No. So that's five mils per five it's, gallon. It's another mil, yeah. So that's not a big yeah. deal, right? Yeah. Not, not a, you sound like you, you were doing two hundred. This just raises to two fifty. Uh, most most fish tolerate that just fine. Um, actually, if you want to get technical about it, it's actually point zero point nine five mL per gallon. But I mean, that little extra one mL per gallon is not going to raise it that significantly, and it's easy for you know people to measure on like a pipe bed or. Uh, you know, on a on a syringe and everything. So, so yeah, for fish that you suspect have uranema, chromis and anthias are at the top of that list. I would do the formalin bath. Uh, I would still do the NFG second, but I would do the formalin bath instead of the peroxide bath. And make sure that um, is, is, uh, is not cloudy on the bottle, right? You go through that. Just make sure the bottle is fresh and new. And yes. On, you order it fresh. We throw out hours like every year to throw out any used bottles. It actually only has formalin. Only has a six month shelf life. Yep. Um, it, it's it's not the formaldehyde. It's the, the the methanol that's in it actually starts to turn it to paraformaldehyde, which is more toxic than 
than just from all the highs. So that's the reason why. Um, peroxide, I mean, does have, I mean, you know, peroxide, if it gets exposed to air, gets exposed to light, um, but it doesn't actually turn toxic. It just becomes less effective. But peroxide is so cheap that, I mean, you might as well just every six months just toss it and get a new bottle. Yeah, but we get, you know, again, we use the uh, 30% stuff because we have to. But we have the that stuff is really, other than wearing gloves and, and eyewear, like, it's really easy. You just don't go slide. It's very easy. Yeah, that's the good stuff. That's the aquaculture approved stuff. Yeah, that's the good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'm just saying for people that are just buying it at Walmart, which is fine because it's, it's, it's a lot more diluted, which is why I, in the instructions, you dose more than what you're using. And every six months, I would just toss and buy a new bottle. It's like 99 cents for a bottle of that stuff. Yeah. Walmart. And you know what? I just want to say this. That is the reason why I invested so much of myself into peroxide and I wanted to prove its effectiveness because, you know, so many times people contact me and it's Saturday or Sunday and all their fish have velvet and, you know, they don't have anything. They don't have copper. They don't have any medications. I wanted to provide the hobby with a product that anybody, any time of the night could go run to Walmart, could go anywhere and they could buy at a grocery store, and they could have a treatment that would at least provide temporary, um, you know, temporary uh, relief. So your screen went off again. Yeah, I see oh. that. I see it went off. Oh, you're back. Okay. Okay. This is the emergency broadcast. <laughs> uh, Bobby, what are you hearing on... Um, the quarantine fish industry. You know it's not a good business. You know the power medications and the premiums you get for quarantine fish. It's tough business. What are you hearing? Who's doing it right? Who's not? Are there less companies doing it? Um, seems like they do it, but it's rare fish. It doesn't seem like a lot of it's around. So it seems like everybody and their brothers now selling quarantine fish has become kind of a catchphrase. You know, my fish are quarantined. And look, I don't know, some some people are doing it the right way and some are maybe half-assing it, right? I mean, we don't really know. Um, I will say on my forum, we have a whole section of the forum dedicated to uh, quarantine fish vendors, quarantine livestock vendors. I vet every single one of them um i work with a lot of them a lot of them we collaborate on a lot of the knowledge that i share are actually collaborations between myself and and the uh the quarantine fish vendors and i mean it, you know I, I provide i provide them with the blueprint on this is how i quarantine on a commercial level because i did it for like three years so this is how i did it and you know this is the blueprint a lot of them will take it and they will maybe make some modifications and changes and that's fine um, as long as they're not selling diseased fish, as long as they're providing good customer service, we don't have a problem. But when I start getting reports from members that um, they're buying sick fish, they got to go. I mean, I, I just, I'm sorry, but, you know, you, I'm, you know, as long as you're providing the product that you say you're providing, which is uh, quarantine healthy fish, we don't have a problem. But when I start getting too many reports that um, um, there's a problem with the fish, there's, there's ick, there's velvet, there's diseases, then I have to remove them as a quarantine vendor. So I like to think I do a pretty good job policing that and making sure that the quarantine vendors on my forum are actually the real deal. How, what, 
what's been the churn rate? How many have you kicked? How many have you let on and kicked off, Bobby? Probably, well, probably have let on about fifteen or twenty, and I've probably kicked off about six to eight so far. So, I mean, and you know. You know, some of them have been friends of mine. These are people I've known for years and years, and it causes uh, hard feelings between us and all the rest of it. But at the end of the day, I have to do what's right for the, the hobby. I have to do what's right for our members. I have to do what's right for the, you know, for the quarantine fish vendors. And you're right. It is not a, um, it is not a profitable business venture. Um, okay, so, so I, it's not profitable. So, so how would we expect them to survive? And then what? Well, it, it's not profitable at the moment, but and I don't want to show any favoritism. There is one vendor on my forum that's got about a 90% success rate, and he is starting to turn the corner. He is making it profitable. He's actually, but what he's doing is all the profits he's making, he's just reinvesting it in his business to, uh, to grow it out even further. And the only thing that's stopping him from having an even higher success rate is your email. That's the thing that comes along every so often, kicks his butt, and he's got to kind of, you know, bleach everything and start over. But if we can just figure that out, then I, I think it would be profitable. I'm not saying you're going to get rich doing it, but I think you could make it a profitable, profitable business if we could solve this urinema problem. What's the, the average premium a fish, a quarantine fish gets in percentage terms over an unquarantined fish? Same fish. 10, 15%, 20%? No, uh, most, most of my vendors are charging at least 50% above. 5 0 5 is? Yeah, 50% above regular retail price. So $100 fish would sell for 150 bucks. Some charge more, um, but considering that, the, yeah, especially with, the, the thing, it depends on the fish. I mean, if we're talking just a yellow tang, then you may only be looking at a 50% markup above regular retail. Now, if we're talking something like a, a copper-banded butterfly, which is a pain in the butt to get eating and you have to go through a lot more, well, then those fish would probably sell maybe even double. That would be a fish that would even sell maybe double what you normally would pay. But think about how many people do you know have gone through half a dozen copper-banded butterflies just to get one that eats. Right. Um, so, you know, you have to kind of, or, you know, like I can think of other fish that would command a higher price, leopard wrasses. Yeah, uh, there's certain wrasses that are really sensitive. You know, Side story: The first, the last, the last set of shoddy wrasses I got, which is a leopard wrasse. You know the red shoddy wrasses, right? Mm -hmm. Set. I went zero for eight in quarantine with copper, or right. if the copper touched the wholesale. The next batch, I told the uh, well, I told Eric Coleman, and you know, Eric's a great guy. Do not let those guys at the moment reef. Do not let any of those fish touch copper. Just get them to me. And I didn't put them through any copper, you know, transfer and all such. I went seven for eight. So there are obviously certain fish. I spoke to a fish vet, like Regal Angels. They did a bunch of uh, autopsies. Their liver melted with copper. Right. There were certain no 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 fish, I guess. He just he just and, and you can get the quarantine fish and, and it poops out of you the liver poops out of you in your tank. They're quarantined great, there's no bugs, but their liver's damaged. And 
three months right. later they're dead in your town. So were they able to confirm that that was the liver damage was from copper poisoning because yes. ammonia and actually cyanide will also yeah, basically I, destroy a fish's liver? He claims yes. Proven. Interesting. What did he say? What type of copper they were exposed to? No. Okay. Because I think okay. So here's the thing. I mean, it could be chelated copper does this, but I know. Most wholesalers I know, they use copper sulfate, copper sulfate yeah. you know, because and actually the fish metabolizes copper sulfate. Right. So I, I would think you would see more toxic, like, you know, liver, kidney toxic issues if, especially if a, an angelfish was put in copper sulfate pentahydrate versus using a product like, uh, like copper power or copper safe because they're actually metabolizing the copper internally. Right. So well, that, that could sales, maybe that's the reason. Where these fish come from, right? Yeah, well, that's the thing. They all, well, they, they all go through the wholesale facilities. Um, the wholesale facilities, a lot of them do run copper sulfate. Some run at like a sublethal concentration. Um, I'll be honest with you. Most of my quarantine vendors have better success if they're able to transship. So if they're able to just order direct from the collectors and bypass the wholesalers, Usually that shipment of fish has a higher success rate than if it has to go through a wholesale facility. Exactly. That's a good point. That's a great yeah. yeah. Joe, before we start getting yep. to some Q&A, yep. for our last topic, yep. let's hit on the doomsday event yep. for this tank specifically. Okay. And then let's talk about... How do you want to pose this question? All right, let's... Bobby. Like the discussions we had, Bobby, God forbid. Um, we want to talk to you about a specific situation in a very big tank. <laughs> a very big tank. What happens when you're faced with that decision? Holy shit, it's either the fish or the coral. I gotta make that decision right now. Obviously, we have you know other facilities, but how do you go catching 500,000 fish? Or like, what about you go know, put, put them to sleep? How, how do you do that? And, or am I doing the coral? Like, I, I have nightmare dreams about that, Bobby. I, I think in your situation, I mean, or anybody that's got a tank that big, I don't really think pulling all the fish and, and quarantining is an option. Um, I think you would you would use alternative methods. I think, um, like, you know, you maybe would try the peroxide thing where you would, you know, do the, it's a six-week uh, dosing regimen. I think right. you would you would I did, try that. I did it all six, um, weeks. I did it all six weeks, Bobby. Yep, and it worked, right? I think it worked, but look, you don't know, and we don't know, whether it would have worked just changing my UV bulbs and feeding that medication. Like, yeah, sure it worked, but this time right. around, I did not use the hydrogen sulfide, the uh, peroxide, and it looks like the last few days that I'm winning. Uh, and I am going to change my UV bulbs. I'm due for a change. It's uh, now seven months. So we're gonna change them now. Um, I'm fighting back with that with that TMP sulfur. We make all sorts of cakes and stews with it. Um, I think I lost one anthias, one fish, one anthias. So right. I'm not too worried about it. But you know, you have to plan for emergencies. Right. And planning is scary. I mean, I would think in, in, in that situation, there's no way you can pull the fish. I mean, 
I, in your shoes, I would go full-blown management. So I would do things like, you know, run the biggest UV, you know, I know the biggest UV sterilizer, even though there's no, it's not proven to work, but the biggest UV sterilizer that you, you can fit on that tank, I would run ozone. I would plumb a some pool-grade diatom filters into that to eliminate from the, the freeze warmers. I would try to do as much as I could to dilute the number of parasites in the tank, understanding you're going to have losses. I mean, you're not going to save all the fish, but there is there are there have been some studies that if fish are exposed to various pathogens at a sublethal concentration for X number of months, they will develop immunity or resistance, you know, depending on which word you want to use. And that would be my goal for my core stock of fish to develop resistance or immunity. So, Bobby, just to follow up with that, this is Rashid with you. So to summarize, whether you got a 17,000-gallon tank or a 200-gallon tank, to summarize, um, you want to make sure the water, you know, water quality is great right off the bat. Right. You want to make sure that you uptake your food, get nutritious food in there, and there's some concoctions that Andrew will obviously chime in on now. You want to make sure that you got a UV sterilizer, and if you have a smaller tank, maybe even a diatom filter. I know some folks, our old school folks, used to use that back in the day, and they believe that works. Right? Well, no, a smaller tank that could work, but you could try all of that instead of trying to pull all your fish out. All that's going to do is add stress, and obviously we can't do that in this instance. We started talking about moving fish and putting corals, moving corals out, putting them to twenty five hundred. Going hyper, there, there was so many discussions. It was all nerve wracking, to be quite honest with you. Well, and the thing is, you have to turn you have to turn everything you can to your advantage in that situation. So, like you know, like the dilution thing. I keep saying that, but I mean that is essential to dilute the number of parasites. Because you know, look, fish they have an immune system. They can fight off parasites. They just can't fight off an overwhelming number of parasites. So by you know, we talk about the UV and the ozone and the uh, and the diatom filter. And you know, they now make. Uh, like people that have swimming pools, saltwater swimming pools, there are huge diatom filters that that are. Yep. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. You you can modify those yeah. and you can plumb it into your aquarium, and that is going to that is going to trap some of the parasites in the diatomaceous earth. That's another thing you do. Right. Getting over to the the um, the nutrition side of it, you know, again, go back to feeding live foods if you can feeding seafood basically you know like shrimp and clams and oysters and all these and muzzles and all these food and also if you're not if you you don't feel like you're getting enough of this from your food there you, you can there you can get by probiotics there are uh, vitamins beta-glucan is a new favorite of mine for you know fish that have viruses if if fish can get that in their system the vitamins and the probiotics and the in the beta-glucan in their system and then that will then equip their immune system through their the gut flora. So that's the other side of the equation. I think a lot of people that encounter these problems are, and I'm not saying look like I you know I have to feed flake and pellets sometimes too. Sometimes you're you know you're rushed, but you don't want to make that a staple. You you don't want to make that. You want to make that the exception, not the rule. You want to feed your fish really well. You want to invest in in food for your fish. So just to, to go back on the the the. the the dilution, Bobby and Andrew. And Andrew, I know you and I spoke about this yeah. with Jonathan. And, you know, like, folks with sand. Like, have you heard of, like, people filtering out their sand so that yeah, we can collect the trophons? You know, yeah. Take it out of sand for a while. 
wallow, you're doing is peroxide. Is that something you think would help? Bottoms, don't have you, much profiles, et cetera, et cetera. Are you talking about like like vacuuming the sand or something to get yeah. the profile? Yeah. Or taking it out, yeah. I mean, it's sure, you know, it's certainly, I've never thought about that before, but it couldn't hurt. It couldn't hurt to actually go sit there and actually vacuum your sand bed and and that should force the tomos to dislodge and get actually siphoned out of the aquarium. It, you know, that's the kind of thinking. It's doing every little thing that you can think of to turn the odds more to your favor when 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 faced with a crisis situation like, you know, what you just said. Okay, I, I, Bobby, it's, it's been a pleasure. I'd love to open it up for Q&A and, and, and uh, questions for people. Yep. And, and, uh, yeah, I've been telling all the poor, the questions, so I'm going to start going through them, guys. We'll just keep getting through them pretty quickly, and if anyone that well, is watching... Just, last thing, how many fish vets do you talk to, and how different are the regimens of each one of them? Like, the different opinions of, of them. I've talked to a few, and it's really amazing, like, the differences. You know, it, it does vary quite a bit um, on their practices. I mean, some, you know, advocate like a, a strong prophylactic quarantine regimen using lots of medications and chemicals, and some don't. Some some just observe in quarantine or they'll just isolate the fish or, you know, they'll basically they're just, you know, saying that, well, you're going to get a fish disease in your tank and you're just going to have to manage it. Um, I will say this, most public aquariums I know um, – which I probably have more experience talking to them and wholesalers than I do um, actually veterinarians is it's kind of weird. Like they, what they basically do, like most public aquariums do quarantine their fish. And while they do make adjustments based on the species, um, you know what they quarantine with copper sulfate and formalin. They get the fish in, they put them in the QTs and they run them through a regimen of, you know, copper sulfate, usually like, you know, 0.2 PPM, and they'll do the uh, 25 ppm formalin every day for a week or two, yeah. and after two yeah. weeks, yeah. the fish just go in. And they know they know that that's not going to to kill everything, but it's going to kill enough where they're confident that when the fish go into the into the displays, they've got management systems in place to handle whatever slips through. Do they dose the formalin in the in the quarantine thing, so that's the yep. 25. No, they do. They usually, well, they sometimes do both, but it's typically copper and formalin side by side. So they're while they're running copper sulfate, they're dosing 25 ppm formalin every 24 hours for at least 10 days, and that that's the, that's their that's their winning combination. The copper formalin, the copper formalin. What was that little company called? Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. There was a company that actually they had a product that was both together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Wow, that was a long time. Yeah, I do remember that. I do remember that, but I forget the name of the company. You know, most people don't realize chloroquine was being used in the late seventies. There, I think it was called Marex was the name of the product. It was actually you could buy an aquarium medication that actually had chloroquine, and what people were doing back then, they didn't have corals. They were using it uh, to uh, control parasites in their tank, and also because you know chloroquine is an algae side. It was keeping their rocks nice and white. Right. right. Yeah. I think it was Aquatronics was the name of the there company. You know. That's it. That's it. That's it. Thank Aquatronics. You. Yep. That's going way back. 
All right, let's start with questions. So first question earlier from Tyann, and make sure you guys uh, tune into Tyann's. Oh yeah, we got Tyann. Tyann show, Tyann talk. Ryan, right after this at eight o'clock. Yes, so this we got the lead in. That's that's the main event. Exactly. We made sure we orchestrated it that way. So uh, Tyann had a question: uh, How can you tell if a fish is internally affected uh, if it's not showing any signs externally? And we know some of the signs. I'm just going to say it's like. Stringy poop and stuff like that, but any other thoughts? Right. How do you, how do you know whether the urinemia is is internal or not, Bobby? You don't. I mean, unfortunately, because urinema either affects a fish's cells or grows over their internal organs, unless you do a necropsy to actually like cut the fish open and see it. I mean, you're not going to know before the fish dies. You can tell by doing a post post mortem examination that a fish has internal urinema, but you're not going to know that while the fish is alive. Um, most of the times I tell people to focus on uh, the possibility of a fish having internal parasites or worms, and you can usually tell that. And the fish has to have all of these. It's not just one, because sometimes white stringy poo can just mean intestinal irritation. If a fish has white stringy feces, and especially if a fish um, is, is eating a lot, like they're eating voraciously, but they're still, like they're just getting thinner and thinner, you right. see the pinched stomach, that usually means that a fish has an internal parasite or worm that you should food soap, prosy, and or metro to, to treat. Okay. Uh, next question is a good old uh, garlic question. Should you add oh, garlic garlic in their food daily? And like, what are your, just tell us your comments on garlic and what it does help or, or it doesn't. Yeah, really... Bobby, garlic. So, you know, well, first I'll say there's no scientific evidence. Well, actually, you know, I gotta take that back. I have read some things recently. I don't think it was for fish. It was, you know, that garlic does have um, some properties to it that I think especially for harmful bacteria um, but you know it's one of those things that falls into a gray area about there's there's no scientific evidence that food soaking garlic is beneficial for fish I also don't believe that you know a lot of people say well if you feed garlic you're, you're damaging a fish's uh, liver or kidneys I don't think at the concentration most people use that happens now, I, I've actually had one theory about garlic that it's just a, a pet theory of mine. And there's no scientific basis for this. But if you've ever been around somebody that eats a lot of garlic, you can smell it on them because it actually leaches through their pores. I don't like that smell, huh? I've wondered sometimes if, if fish, fish eat enough garlic and it leaches back out through their pores into their scales, if that makes them a, uh, an undesirable host for the, for the parasites. But, I mean, I don't – that's just me saying that. I don't have any evidence of that. All right, Paul had a. Go ahead. Some of the, some of the uh, old timers that like the metro in the food like shaved garlic, natural clove mixed with citric acid in there, uh, along with the metro and, and sulfur. Yeah. That's I, don't, I think it's immunity. Well, you know what? If nothing else, garlic is an appetite stimulant. So if you have a new fish that doesn't want to eat, drop a garlic might actually kind of in, uh, entice a feeding response, if nothing else. Uh, next question from Paul wants to know, what temperature would you run a fish quarantine tank? Any specific numbers? 78 to 80 degrees Fahrenheit. So for me, I like it at that temperature because that is... That is, the, that is warm enough so that, you know, if you do have parasites in the water, they're going to proceed um, as expected, like a normal life cycle. It's not going to slow down and, 
You're not going to probably see a strain of ick that takes longer than 30 days for all the free swimmers. But you don't want to really be too higher than 80 degrees because higher temperature means uh, less available oxygen in the water. And especially if you're exposing a fish to medications and you want to have as much oxygen in the water as possible, so that's why you really don't want to go over that 80 degree range. So I think 78 to 80 degrees is ideal for a fish quarantine. Okay, this, this is a topic we talk a lot about. Tank Life said uh, he knows several people who got ick, et cetera, from adding corals or inverts that were not quarantined. Yeah. You guys agree? You guys agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, oh, yeah. It, it can happen, and it's more likely on hard surfaces, rock, uh, snail, snails. Um, you know, something when that, that comes on a, on a rock and it comes deep in deep in the pores and stuff in the rock. Right, Bobby? Very simple. Yeah, it's. I think it was John Bur Don John Burgess actually is the one who did this. It was yeah. the the thesis for his PhD. And he actually tested a number of different surfaces, staghorn coral, he tested shell material, he's tested glass, he tested sand and rock, and he found that um, when the parasites drop off the fish, that's the, the trophont stage, and they become protomonts, which crawl around looking for a hard surface to insist upon, all of those surfaces were, were, were viable. Um, and they had good um, adhesion. So, yeah, I mean, again, any, any hard surface, um, you add a coral or an invert, that is a possible vector because you could have tumults on those. Uh, the only thing that doesn't seem to be affected is like live coral tissue. What about uh, the anemone that swallows the thing for two weeks? Like, <laughs> I remember us talking about that. So, yeah, that, that's one of those things. I mean, uh, I don't think I don't think that a protomont could insist upon the anemone, but yeah, that's a that's an interesting possibility of an anemone swallowing uh, a free swimmer and then pooping it or, you know, expelling it back out. Um, so I would say in that situation, I forget what I told you exactly. I think two maybe... Weeks going, two weeks, at least the program anyway, so that two weeks works out fine. Yeah, two weeks. Yeah, there's actually on my on my forum, there's like a chart, and I've got all the, the various inverts, and I've got like the quarantine, the minimum time frame that you should quarantine them for based on, you know, those different scenarios. So let's, let's follow up on that, Bobby, uh, because we actually, the next question from Tank Life is regarding that. They had a question, and let's plug Humblefish, because we get a lot of information from you directly, Bobby, but uh, where can hobbyists find recommended quarantine protocols and guidelines? Can you walk them through uh, how you have things laid out on your YouTube, your website, and, you know, yeah, let's, 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 pl let's plug you, plug Humblefish here. Humblefish! Forum. Yeah, on all my thank you. Yeah, thank you for plugging the forum. So on my forum, I've got, I mean, I've got you know how to quarantine. I've got um, you know it's all written out like in a very long, uh, detailed manner. Exactly how to go about setting up a quarantine, which medications to use. We have articles and we call them stickies, but articles on every single disease and treatment you can imagine. Um, all kind of stuff thrown in. I am starting to do videos. I've got a YouTube channel now. It's Humble Humble Fish and Reef, and I'm doing uh, basically the information that's down. It's written. I'm actually doing like um, you know either visual or audio tutorials as well. And I'm actually in the process of redoing all my sticky information to incorporate those videos into the stickies as well. 
So you've got two ways to learn. If you want to, you know, if you're a re, you know, someone that likes to read and absorb information, you can read it all. If you're someone that wants to watch a YouTube video, well, we're doing that for you too. So all the information is laid out. And I think what's most important as well is if you join the forum, if you have any questions about how to quarantine, if you have any questions about a specific disease, uh, uh, you need an ID on a disease or what medication to use, it's not just myself. We now have an army um, on my forum that can help you with not just fish disease info, but all of your reefing questions, uh, some very, very knowledgeable hobbyists are now on my forum and uh, I really feel like they're the cream of the crop. I think we've got some amazing people on my forum that are just very uh, generous with their time, willing to answer questions and, and share knowledge. Well, Andrew, Andrew answers a good amount of questions per day, uh, <laughs> sometimes specifically on, on, on Bobby, fish and course. I still have to go to uh, the, the old site just to check the old stickies on, on some doses. Don't tell anybody. But, you know, that information all still exists on the old site, but it's so outdated that it's because, you know, as I learn yep. or I, I keep yep. updating my stickies, well, I don't update them over there. I only update them on my forum. All right, uh, next question, RC. Are there any dips that can be used to treat coral or macroalgae from a tank with a uranema or bacterial infection? A dip so, uranema. I wish, I wish, yeah. Hydrogen peroxide, okay, so this is theoretical. Hydrogen peroxide should work because uranema does not have an insistive stage, it's just a, um, a free-living parasite then a hydrogen peroxide bath should actually kill your anema. I think, what was the dosage we used? One, one third H2O2 and two thirds salt water for five minutes? Um, I'm asking my wife, because we've done it. So if you do no, one third, you do you no, three what's that? What do you do, you dip the rock in there? Yeah, yeah, you can actually take, um, there's actually on my forum, there's another whole um, thing about that. And there's, you know, a guy, he's tested all kinds of different corals. You can actually use hydrogen peroxide as a coral dip. And I believe it's one-third hydrogen peroxide, the 3% kind, two-thirds salt water for five minutes. Five. Then you rinse it for another five minutes. Then you put the uh, the coral in your tank, and that, that seems to work pretty well. How does that, how does that work for SPS, the peroxide dip? Okay, can you handle it? I think, you know, I'd have to go back and look at the sticky. I think it's... It's better tolerated by soft corals and LPS than SPS. And, but I think he's got like a whole, like he breaks it down. I think what he may do for SPS is he lowers the concentration. It's not quite as, as strong. Because you know how SPS are. They're so sensitive to everything, especially acros, you know? Well, I mean, Andrew, just touch. I'm going to ask this question from Elisa. Uh, she said, oh, my God, how many bottles of hydrogen peroxide did we use when we went through our ordeal? Solution. So more concentrated. Use, uh, not only a few liters of, of, of that wicked stuff. Right, right. Only, I, I think we'd be using. Uh, I mean, it's, well, I think I was using one milliliter. I think it's usually one mil per five gallons in a in a reef tank. So I was using one per fifty. So um, what's what's uh, seventy thousand divided by fifty? Um, let's see. Yeah, I'm looking on my form right now to remember what the dosage is because I get hit with so much stuff that I, I forget some of this stuff sometimes. Uh, so the, the bath dip, this may not be relevant, that I recommend for 3% is it's 
20, um, 20 milliliters of 3% per one gallon of salt water now, but you were doing in-tank. Let me go look at that real quick. Yeah, in-tank. Should be one mil per five gallons, something like that. Uh, I can pull it. Here it is, peroxide. Okay, so for that, you start at, one it looks like one ml, one ml per eight gallons, and then you ramp it up over a four-week period to one ml per five gallons of the 3% peroxide. Correct. So, just doing the math here, divided by 340, 17,000 divided by 50. Yeah, 300 mils a day, I was basically, 300 mils a dose. Yeah. And I was do, we were doing that basically uh, four times a day. Okay. With, a, with a night dose, uh, late night dose that was, uh, that Jessica claims, that's her name, right, Bobby? Your, your yeah. girl, yeah. Jessica? Yeah, Jessica claims yeah. uh, release slowly, like a little bit each, each hour. Before, yeah, I want to make that clear if I can. I, I've done all the experimentation when it comes to quarantine dosages for the peroxide, but all of the in-tank peroxide dosing has actually been done by a lady on my forum. Her name is Jessica. She's my co-admin on my forum, actually. She's the one that has actually done all of the experimentation, um, the in-tank reef-safe peroxide dosing experimentation. Yeah, and if you do this, turn the lights down, guys. If, you, if this ever comes, and it does work better with the UV, you know that. Um, that's for sure. Okay. All right, next question. All right, so next question. This is actually a really good question. So this is from uh, Tracy, Tracy yeah. Rogers. She was curious about using Prozzi for flatworms in a reef tank. Yeah. Not, not, sure, not sure if this is a question relevant to the discussion, but she just worried about the die-off of uh, bristle worms and feather dusters. Yeah. So so this is this is the old Prozzi in a reef tank. What is it going to do to my urchins? What is it going to do to my snails? What is it? Am I going to have a die-off? Am I going to have something happen that, that uh, I, I don't want? For the, for the mostly no. So mostly no. It does seem that two worms, feather dusters, bristle worms, they're pretty resistant against uh, um, Prozzi Pro. That's, that's not going to be an issue. Um, and we talked about previously, sometimes we'll see instances of anemones and SPS bleaching. They usually bounce back. Of course, there are some... Cases where people say, you know, he actually kills their corals. Those are pretty rare. The flatworm thing is interesting because if you did have a heavy concentration of flatworms in your reef, you dose Prozzi Pro. And I really don't, I mean, I'm assuming Prozzi Pro kills flatworms. I don't know for sure. But if it does or it damages them, then I would kind of worry about the flatworms then releasing toxins into the water. Um, and the only way to mitigate that is to do water changes and, and run carbon, but then, you know, then you're taking the prosy out of the water. So that, I guess that would be my, one of my main concerns. If you did have a heavy flatworm infestation in your reef, you might not want to use prosy until you get that taken care of, because I could see them, you know, even if they're irritated, I could see the flatworms releasing toxins and then killing all of your livestock or most of your livestock. Yeah, that, that was the old problem with flatworm exit, right? And then yeah. there's plenty of stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because, I mean, it would be, again, how effective Prozzi is against flatworms, I don't know. But if yeah. it irritates them enough, at least, yeah, I could see them releasing toxins into the water. It would be interesting to know if sometimes when people claim 
that Prozzi killed all their fish, it'd be interesting to know if they actually had flatworms in the tank, and that's actually what did it. Well, that's Tracy's responding right now, and she says she saw flatworms in the sump. So it worked. Right. When she treated so there you go. And a lot of people that do use the Prozzi in reef treatments, I've heard, do the double dose and then do a water change pretty quickly after that. They double it up. Right. In the yeah, like point. That. I'm always leery of that because, you know, something goes wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so, Eric, for, um, sorry, not Eric, uh, Bobby, Eric has a question. So, for all the, uh, the folks living in the cities like myself and don't have room for a quarantine tank, thoughts on uh, safety stop? I know you've addressed this before, but, yes. like, you know, your plan B's and C's if you don't have a large QT system such as us. So safety stop, as I understand safety stop, the part A is formalin, the part B is methylene blue, which is very similar to, you know, what I recommend, you know, as a, as a pre-quarantine or pre-DT bath of using um, formalin or hydrogen peroxide and the second component is NFG. What irritates me about safety stop is I cannot get them to provide me with, a, with an SDS that tells me what what is in that formalin product because there are formalin products that are not potent enough they're not uh, a formalin proper formalin has to be 30 percent formaldehyde and 10 to 15 percent methanol if if they would just provide me with an sds and i could see that information in black and white i, I could sign off on the product and say it's a good option but without you know I'm a, I'm a details person i have to see the ingredients i have to know the nuts and bolts of it without seeing that information i just can't verify what percentage of formaldehyde and methanol is, is in their part A of safety stop? I'm sure it's less than 30, and I'm sure it's just a, 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 like a quick, a quick kind of thing like peroxide, where it just it sheds it, but it may not be 100% effective. Right. Yeah, it's not 100%, but it, it helps. Um, again, you're instead of putting a fish, we'll just go with the DT option. Instead of putting a fish in your DT, that's loaded with parasites, well, at the very least, you're putting a fish that has a light parasite load. So maybe that fish can build up some, some natural immunity um, and whatever management techniques you're using, you can get this thing under control before you have an explosion um, and it, it just wipes out all your fish. So yeah, every bit helps. I mean, yeah, going back to that. Is, that, is it the same one and the same? Immunity and resistance? No. Paragard and, and the safety stop stuff. So Paragard is supposed to be, as I understand it, a it's a formalin substitute. Again, you know, there it's proprietary, so you don't really know what's in it. Um, I've used it a few times. Honestly, it doesn't, in my opinion, my experience doesn't do anything. Uh, I have not used safety stop at all, so I cannot speak my own experience on whether or not safety stop works. But I have tried uh, Paragard, and it just doesn't do anything, as far as I can tell. Right. Oh, next, question. next question, Deli Del, uh, what strength beta glucan uh, do you use, and do you just crush slash pop the pills and mix with food? How, what's the process? The beta, the beta formula. Yeah. The best thing I can do with that is um, after the live stream in the comments, I'll there's a recipe actually that we have on how to mix the beta glucan in the food. It's a little little complicated. So what I'll do is I'll post that information in the comment section after the live stream so you can actually read about it because it's a little more complicated to, to food soak beta-glucan than that. Okay, so to follow up on that, RC had a question too, like where can she find a thread 
that goes through the hydrogen peroxide experiment as a dip. Or, or trading in a tank. A dip or trading in a tank. Oh, Either or. On its site, I, I, Bobby, there's so much, there's so many threads on, on their site of hydrogen peroxide. It's almost, it's almost insane. What's the URL, Bobby? Spell that out for them. It's, it's humble.fish. Humble.fish, okay. Yeah, yeah, it's just humble and then a period and then fish. And that will redirect you um, to the forum and then all the information is. But what I'll do is in the comment section, I'll post some of the things we've talked about. I'll post some links so okay. people have access to the direct information. Like I'll do one for the peroxide bath. I'll do another one for the in-tank uh, reef-safe peroxide treatment so people have uh, quick you know, access to that information. Okay, and I'll make sure, Bobby, just we'll connect. I'll make sure it's in the description so they can also uh, see on, it. On a separate note, why do you think when I put an ORP probe in uh, hydrogen peroxide, it reads the normal 300, when, you know, it's not a big deal. But when you put it in the tank, the ORP actually crashes, which is not a big deal unless you're running ozone, and the ozone is on the entire six weeks without stopping. Every time it builds back up, you're ready for a new dose. And that was a, a, a concern of mine from just oxidizing, too much oxidation. Right. Well, both are oxidizers, right? So the ozone's an oxidizer, and peroxide is a very strong oxidizing agent. Um, you know, that's why it's used, um, you know, it's used to disinfect, you know, surfaces and everything because of it. it's a strong oxidizer. So my only guess would be too much oxidation, those two oxidizers just kind of crashing into each other, so to speak, you know, would be my my, my guess. Yeah, I mean, that, 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 yeah, but do you, do you think... Apparently, people without ozone went through this also. They monitored their ORP and, and, it, and it went down anyway. I don't know if it's killing something in the water column or it's just some reaction that, that the probes are picking up. Who the hell knows? Right. Well, I will say I that so some, people, six weeks. some people that have done the intake um, peroxide dosing have done before and after um, um, aquabionics testing, and he, he also tests like your the beneficial bacteria, and in some cases, you will, you kill the good with the bad, right? It, it, it doesn't discriminate. Right. So there's been cases where you'll have a very, like a healthy uh, nitrifying bacteria, and then after you do the peroxide dosing, it's minimal, and people find they need to dose bacteria back to get yeah. it back where it is. So yeah, that, that again just kind of demonstrates the efficacy of peroxide and what a strong oxidizing agent it is and it, it, it kills the good with the bad so that's just something to throw in there i don't want people to think that oh peroxide is a a cure-all and there's no downside to it yeah of course there's downsides to it you know so so next one bobby and andrew this is a good question right there's a new approach with corals especially coming if they're wild or a long trip where they're like hey don't dip them so quick because you might just kill that thing go through a phase where you're watching and let them acclimate Yep. So RC's specific question is, are there any arrival conditions that would prevent you from using the hydrogen peroxide and formalin bats when first receiving a fish that was just shipped? Well, I'll tell you, if you see a red sore on a fish, yeah. there's a good chance it's already, I mean, it's, it's DOA and you don't even know it yet. And the minute you put it in formalin, it's done, okay? That's one thing I've learned. Um, Bobby, like, like, what, what, what's the question? Is basically when is it like 
pre-arrival fish, and you're like, holy cow, I can't do this. I yeah, yeah. Run through a formal bath. Yeah, like what do you look for? So two circumstances I can think of. Well, red source. So whether the red sore is being caused by urinema or a bacterial infection, which, you know, like Andrew's saying, the fish, I hate to say it, the fish is toast. I mean, if the fish comes in with red sores, there's a good chance you're not going to save it. But what happens is if you put that fish in peroxide, the peroxide actually burns the, the red sore. It just, it just burns the hell out of the fish. Well, the fish is probably going to die just from that experience alone. Another situation where you would not want to do a peroxide or formalin bath is if a fish, if you know a fish has ammonia burn. So you get a fish that's shipped to you, it's in cloudy, stinky water, you, you can smell the ammonia, um, then that means that the gills are already inflamed. And if you expose that fish to formalin or peroxide, it's just going to cause further inflammation, further damage. So those are two situations where you would not want to expose a fish to formalin or really any medications except maybe methylene blue or antibiotics until the fish is healed. I know that when, when a fish has traveled a long distance, let's say from Western Australia, and I get it, and I know it's particularly sensitive to medication. Let's talk about something like minority rats. They're impossible, okay? I will quarantine them with no meds for the first several days and then make that that med call after. They get no, they, they come in, they, they just go right into salt water and I'll watch them. Bobby, I mean, there are certain fish like that that just can't handle the meds right after the travel, long travel. Right, yeah, if they, especially if you've got a fish that's been in transit a long time. I mean, especially if you, you encounter a situation where, you know, Shipping did not go as expected. You know, the fish is supposed to arrive in 24 hours, and it takes you two or three days to get the fish. The bag water is cloudy. It stinks. Um, yeah, you do not want to expose those fish to any medications right away. You want to just put them in clean water, let them calm down. The only exception I would say would be methylene blue or NFG because it's those are medications technically, but they're actually designed to to help fish that are in a in a situation like that, that I might have ammonia burn or something like that to help heal heal their gills. Methylene blue, for example, is extremely well to tolerated. Um, you can you can overdose that and it doesn't really have any negative effects. I've actually so, so, um, somehow, this, somehow when something doesn't do that much, I tend not to use it. <laughs> well, I one time had a shipment of uh, that, that got stuck. It was like in the middle of the summer and it got stuck somewhere for like a week or something like that. Wow. And I get these fish in, and I mean, it's just a, it's just horrible. But some did survive. Right. So the fish that survived, I just put them in a bare QT with just like an air bubbler, and I dosed methylene blue and ran them, you know, let, kept them in that for a few days before then running them through my quarantine protocol, and, and most of them did fine. So that, that would be the situation that, yeah, you don't want to expose a fish to any meds other than methylene blue straight away. So it's more sensitive to fish... According to the charts, plus the long of the travel, I would say th those are the two variables. I agree with that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and you know, rasses are funny too. Rasses are one of those you can talk about sensitive fish. They can be sensitive to meds right off the bat. That's a good fish to kind of let it settle in. Yeah, yeah, great. Yeah. And amphibious, I go slowly too, Bobby. Yeah. Well, and especially if it's a fish that that is not, you're not sure if it's eating. Because fish, you know, medications suppress appetite. So you want to be sure that, that sometimes that fish is eating before you begin medication. Because right. you don't want to be sitting here wondering, is the fish not eating just because it was never eating? Or is the medication suppressing that the fish's appetite? CP could be 
things could really suppress the appetite. So can frosting, big time. Yep. Yep. So, so, guys, I'm going to ask my last question, and we really, really do thank you, Bobby. We're, we're almost close to two hours here. Great conversation and great information. Also, don't want to eat into Tyann's time as she starts her live pretty Her live just started. The last question is regarding the Chromies, Andrew. Uh, they're wondering, uh, with all the Chromies we recently brought in, did we just do two formalin treatments, and did we use anything else? Any thoughts on tree oil? For uranema, two questions there. Okay, so the tree oil, the, the tree, the pea tree tree oil is the first time I've heard of it now through Bobby today. It's the first time I've heard of it. And they were in chloroquine phosphate for a month in my tank and received two formal baths. And after a month, Bobby will tell, tell you, fish don't in chloroquine, they, they start doing crazy things. They, they, they start doing flips and backflips, and they'll worsen it after a month anyway. So there's no reason to go past the month. enough but i would still do a, a prolonged observation period right. because you know again back to you know internal the possibility of internal uranema usually when a fish has internal uranema what ends up happening is the, the the scales or the skin turns sort of a brownish color and then my theory is those are the parasites actually eating through the fish or actually eating from the inside out and then usually the brown spots turn to red sores and then you know you've got you know external uranema so even if you put a fish through formalin chloroquine uh, treatment. I, especially with Chromis, I would observe them for at least 30 days in non-medicated water because you don't want anything suppressing symptoms before giving them the all clear and, and putting them in your DT. So a minimum of a 30-day observation period in non-medicated water. And, and the food needs to be laced with Metro, particularly Metro in this case, as opposed to Finbendazole because you're dealing with this you want to be as opposed to, to, uh, to performance, yeah. Yeah, you want to food soak Metro or you can food soak chloroquine. That's the other option, but you have to kind of lace it with uh, garlic or something yeah. to get fish to eat chloroquine because of that metallic taste. Yeah. Yeah, so, but, you, you know, I hate to tell it, most people just stay away from chloroquine right now. I mean, until this thing gets figured out, it's just, it's just not worth it, you know? Well, listen, guys, from Polo Reef, I would like to thank you on behalf of all the fans out there who've been asking questions, uh, two old school reefers who really are passionate about the hobby, Andrew and Bobby. Thank you guys so much. Thank you, everybody, you for know. tuning in, and I appreciate the, uh, the watch, and go watch Tank Talk with Ty. Now, thank you, Bobby. Humble fish. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. I, I try not to, you know, panic and call you in the middle of the night. It's been a while. It's been a while since I've done that. Nice to go. Thank you guys every so much. Thank Just you so much. Some... Humblefish.com forum. It's um, humble. Just humble.fish. Just humble, humble, a period, and then fish. That, that will take you right there. I recommend everybody doing that reading. Reading, those, reading the threads is, is actually... 
is actually more informative, really informative than threads itself, as opposed to the conclusions. Right, just to get some information out, as you guys know, uh, Andrew, uh, his our tank will be featured on Coral Magazine September feature, and Andrew will be um, uh, presenting uh, at MACNA uh, this year. So a lot to come from the channel. Any questions you guys have? Uh, apologies for any technical difficulties. We're, we're continuing to work on that. But uh, the website is going to be up and running very, very soon, along with the gear uh, to come. So uh, thank you guys all for joining. We're going to end it right now. You have a great evening, and thank you so Bye much, Bobby. Bye, guys. Bye.